All right, well, good morning, everybody, and thanks for coming back. Um, yeah, this session is, it's kind of a nuts and bolts session, and uh, so, you know, it's maybe not, maybe not quite as sexy as some of the other ones, but, uh, but hopefully it'll be helpful to you, and uh, that's, that's certainly my desire. Let me just pray, kind of get our hearts refocused as we come back into the room, and then we'll kind of get into what we've, we've got this morning. Thank you, Lord, for all the ways that you work in our hearts and lives, and I am thankful for uh, this church and the way that they're willing to host and to serve all of us coming into town so that we can learn and grow and develop in our understanding of how to do effective ministry. And so thank you for all the brothers and sisters that have taken time away from their ministries to come in. And I just pray that in this hour that we spend together that there'd be something that you would have for us. There'd be something that would help us. There'd be some tools that we could use that could help us to, to better facilitate doing the work of shepherding our people and helping to lead and to guide them like we heard already in the first hour. So uh, we love you, we commit this time to you, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so yeah, administration, if, like, like Joe said, the notes are on that little table back there. If you need those, those are back there. You can take a look. Um, before we get started, um, do I have my guys from our church here? So you guys, if you guys just really quick stand up, let me introduce the guys that came from our church because they're all involved in our discipleship ministry here. So go ahead and stand up real quick. So this right here is Jeff Gibbs. He's one of our deacons. Raise your hand, Jeff. Todd Gopp is recently on staff. He does a lot of the adult ministry stuff and has administered this discipleship ministry for a long time. That, there's a transition in our church leadership structure. He's, we're slowly handing that over to Matt Brocker, who's this guy here. And uh, so he's a part of our team. When the questions come up at the end, if there are any, they'll answer them for you. And then we also have Kale Horvath here with us, who's the youth pastor at our church and a short timer because he's about to go be a missionary in Hungary. We're all excited about that, too. Um, so they're part of our team, and I just want you to know who they are. And uh, listen, we're, we're going to look at the administration of how to keep track of the details of, of a growing discipleship ministry. And so um, not unlike some of the things Sam said at the front end, I got the same kind of disclaimers to give to you. Obviously, being asked to cover this material for you um, all I can speak about is what we do. And so in that, there's what you have in your notes, we're just going to go through it together, but, but there's a lot of details of, of us. Basically, it's a step-by-step -step procedure. Well, that's our step-by-step -step procedure, okay? So let me just say on the front end that if your church is newer or smaller and still growing and you don't have this elaborate program to keep track of discipleship, but maybe because you don't need it. Uh, it maybe because you have a very manageable number of people in your church and you know pretty much everybody in your church and the numbers of people that are currently involved in discipleship is just starting to grow and you kind of know who they all are. Well, you don't need an elaborate database and checkpoints and pastors and secretaries <laughs> keeping track of all that stuff. And the truth of the matter is, and if that happens to be you in your situation, or anybody who's listening you know, on tape or whatever, um, your situation is actually the most ideal because it's just complete personal relationships. You personally just know everybody and you know who they are and where they're at and what they're doing, and actually that's a huge blessing. And I would encourage you to enjoy that blessing while you have it. But as time goes, and if the Lord continues to grow and develop your church ministry and numbers of disciples very, very quickly, it can get out of hand. It can get to where you just can't, like Sam said, you just can't know everybody and you can't possibly know where they're all at and how they all best fit and 
how to keep track of them all. There's just so many hours in a day and there's just so many brain cells left. And so it becomes difficult to keep track of that kind of thing. Um, so this is designed for a growing discipleship ministry. When you get to that point where I just can't keep track of it all in my brain, I got to start to put some things on paper and I got to start to keep track of how it all, how it all goes. Uh, the other disclaimer that I would give to you is just the fact that, like I said, this is just the system that we use at First Baptist Church. And so, you know, other larger churches, and there are other churches in our fellowship, certainly large enough to have a lot of their own administration set up, and they may do things a little bit differently, uh, and they may find things that they've done that it, we could really learn from and, and help each other with, but this is what we do. And so, that, that's what you get. You get what we got. And... Uh, ask questions to some of the other fellas, and maybe some of the things we do can encourage you, and vice versa. Obviously, iron sharpens iron. The thing that I want to kind of get us going with at the beginning is just the biblical principles, because if there's no real biblical principle driving this, well, we're just, we're just doing office work, and, and that's fine, but that's not really why we're, that's not why you guys took off work and came here. Um, so I do think that it's fair that even while we're looking at something that might seem somewhat mundane, I think it's fair that you understand that there are biblical principles for our lives that the Lord requires and how you apply those things actually, in my opinion, fall into some of these kinds of nuts and bolts descriptions. So Proverbs 27, 23 says, be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and to look well to thy herds. Well, that's kind of a broad statement and that, that verse of scripture has plagued me over the years as I've thought, be diligent to know the state of your flock. Well, there's the flock's everywhere, and they've got a million things going on in their life, and the truth of the matter is there's a ton of things I don't know about our flock. There's a ton of things I don't know about the people in our flock. So we try to design a ministry strategy and structure that decentralizes away from me, and a lot of other guys are involved in a lot of other people, and that virtually is another way of describing the ministry of discipleship. You're decentralizing ministry into the hands of your people, so that you can know people who know the people who know the people who are involved in the daily work and the lives of each and every individual who's at least trying to grow. So be diligent to know the state of your flocks and look well to your herds. Well, that's among the many things that that could encompass, I would say it encompasses what we're going to look at here together. It encompasses some level of administration so that you can kind of have a, an idea of tracking who's where in their walk with the Lord. Well, with that is well-trodden passage of Scripture in Luke 16, uh, where it says, And he said unto his disciples, There's a certain rich man which had a steward, and, some, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. And you know the story, and, and we typically go here and teach it when we talk about dispensations. And, and so that whole idea of a stewardship or an administration right, is something that has been delegated. So there's a certain rich man who in the picture of the scripture is Jesus Christ, and he has this steward who is to be the steward of his goods. So that can be the pastor, that can be the shepherd overseeing his goods, where his goods are the rest of the flock, the rest of, of the younger Christians. And, and the thing I want to encourage you with to consider, because I take it very seriously, is that, well, this steward who was given the stewardship is going to be given an, having to give an account for his stewardship. Now, in the story, the steward didn't do a very good job, right? But the, the, the rich man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to call us all into account for our stewardship. And among the things that we are called to steward is 
the shepherding of our people and how they are growing and how they are progressing in the goals and the commands that the Lord has given to all of us. Um, so you know 1 Corinthians 4.2, moreover it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So what we're, what we're doing in these administrative tools is just creating a way to not have to remember everything. We get things written down, we have some procedures, and we can find ourselves faithfully working through a well-constructed system that can then be a tool that will truly free you up to then just look for the details and the flags. And I know that Randy's coming up later and others are going to be talking about the issues of what happens when. And that's a very, I really encourage you to pay attention when that comes. That's, very, that's really what we want to get to. What we have here is the tool to be able to get you to the point so you can identify that there's an issue. Because you know as well as I do, there's stuff going on in your churches and you don't know anything about it until, well, until it's too late, until it's already exploded and then it's a problem and somebody's mad and they're bringing people down with them and all this kind of stuff happens and boy, if I could have just had a way to know about it sooner and could have had a conversation with somebody, we might have been able to head some of this stuff off on the front end. Uh, and so it's required of stewards that a man be found faithful. When I read that, I read, that's going to take work. <laughs> that, that just means that this is going to be work that I have to do in order to be faithful to give a, a positive account of the stewardship that I've been entrusted with, right? And so, you know, it's not, it's not easy and it's not always the most fun. But like Sam said, the, 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 the focus really is you are entrusted with God's most precious cargo. You really are. And so, man, we become, like it says in Galatians 4, the tutors and the governors for a period of time over God's heirs. Galatians 4, now I say that the heir, as long as a child... Differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. And I get it that ultimately that talked about the Lord Jesus and that sort of thing. But we are co-heirs together with Christ, and we all started as little children. And until we get to the point that we can enjoy some of the inheritance, well, we're in this process of growth. And there needs to be some tutors, there needs to be some governors, there needs to be some overseers to be able to help us to get to the point where we can enjoy the full blessing of the inheritance, right, in the family. And so that kind of is the on-ramp to this procedure. Uh, and I'm going to walk you through it, and, and I don't exactly know how long this is going to take. I mean, we may finish early, and you probably won't mind if that happened. You'll have questions, maybe, maybe you won't. Um, but with that, let's just kind of get into the, the process. Um, it's a three-step process that, that we'll basically look at, and, and it all starts with selection, and that's, that's really important, obviously. Uh, even the Lord Jesus Christ, before he began with his disciples, he spends the night up in a mountain praying, right, be, before he chooses who are going to be the 12 disciples that are going to follow him closely daily. Um, we do well to spend time making sure that we make the proper selections of who the disciples and disciplers will be, and we'll, we'll go through the details, truly. Hopefully this will spur on some questions in your mind on how that plays out. But who can be a disciple? Uh, who qualifies to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, okay, you have to be saved. Okay, well, I'm not really asking that question today. The question I'm asking for the context of this class is 
who in your system of discipleship ministry processes qualifies to begin to sit down one-on-one -on -one with another going through these books of lessons and begin to learn to grow? Who are those people? Um, is it just whosoever will? I mean, if somebody just shows up and says, I want to do it, you say, great, that's all I need. You just have to have a desire, and that's good. Okay, cool, that's, that, that's what a lot of people do. Uh, a first-time visitor to your church, uh, do you get up and say, hey, you know, we have this cool ministry of discipleship, and if you're interested in that, just check the box or just talk to us, and we'll hook you up. And maybe that's the tool that you use to begin to hook people that you don't even really know. Maybe that's what you do, and a lot of people have done that, and that's fine. But that's not what we do. Uh, we've tried some of those things in the past. We've found that it causes a lot of confusion and wasted time with people who aren't serious. And so we just don't do it that way. So before we really get to the details of how we go through our process of selecting who can get into this ministry, okay, there's, there's a few preliminary steps that, that we kind of go through. And again, I keep saying this is the disclaimer for ours. This is what we do. So it all starts with what we call the path of growth. And, and basically, Sam gave you their path of growth at the end when he had those five circles in a wheel. And, well, we just do it this way in a linear fashion. And so this path of growth that we call the path of growth at First Baptist Church, um, it, they are four broad steps that chart our vision as a church that tell anybody who shows up where to begin and what is next so that they can know where they are in the process, and, that, and this, this process can take them to the point of full maturity and responsibility if they follow it faithfully to where they can be ordained and sent out to begin new works for the Lord in new locations. And we are finally getting to the point where we are seeing the full fruition. Uh, Kale, our youth pastor, is, has completed all of the steps. He completed the Bible Institute, and, and he's served faithfully and proven himself, and at the end of this school year, he'll cease being the youth pastor, and we're sending him out to, well, he's going to begin raising some support, but going to the country of Hungary to start churches there, okay? So that's, it's just an example of the fact that such a system obviously can work and does work, and so the first step at First Baptist Church is that we ask of everyone is just to attend, and to attend faithfully. And so do we, are we working this thing on here? Okay, cool. So attending, and you have this on here, just, just some broad categories under each of these things. Uh, all we want you to do at the beginning at our church is just show up. And, and the reason is, is that we want to see if you're serious enough about this just to, just to show up faithfully enough. We're, we're proving your faithfulness. Um, the, the things that we want to see you attend are not just Sunday morning worship. You know, this is the Bible Belt down here. Up in Ohio, it's a little bit different. But, but like anywhere, it's easy enough for people just to show up on a Sunday, kind of sit in the back, be anonymous, not talk to anybody, and sneak out before the offering or whatever. Um, that's okay. But what we want to see is the faithful attendance to the Sunday morning worship time and a midweek, we call them life groups. That's our small group ministry we do on Wednesdays typically. We have them on different days, but most of them are on Wednesdays. Okay, so we want to see you be a part of the big group faithfully, and we want to see you be a part of a small group faithfully. And, and that doesn't mean that you're leading it. It doesn't mean that you have a particular responsibility. It just means that you're faithful. That's all it is. And the reason why that's so important is, and we make step two then, we call it learn. Well, that's where we enter into this arena of personal discipleship. In other words, since 2 Timothy 2.2 is in the Bible, 
And since we are to commit to faithful men, right, the things that we've learned, well, we need to have a way to measure that they qualify as being faithful. And in your churches, you can pick what your measure of what faithfulness is, but this is the way we do it. We want to see that you're interested enough to show up regularly enough so that we recognize you, you recognize us, and we kind of know who everybody is, and you're showing up, and you're interested enough to be faithful. So learning in the process of discipleship requires faithfulness. We also have a thing in there called our Sunday morning training hour. That's like Sunday school, okay, which are Bible studies. They roll quarterly on subjects. That's just the way we do it. But the idea is that's a segment of learning more detailed doctrinal things as we walk through doctrinal studies at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. But, but the key for this context is personal discipleship is step two of our four-step path, not step one. It's step two. And, and that's, that's important because when we get to the details of who we select and how and, and how we roll with then the teachers, uh, it... it all bases off of this vision statement of our path of growth. The third step we call engage, and that's where we get to what a lot of your churches probably refer to as discipleship two. At our church, we call it ministry tools and training. That's MTT. And uh, MTT is a lot like discipleship two, but we enhanced it a little, added some extra things, and we want everybody to go through that as well when they complete discipleship. The reason that that's so important, and that's step three, of the four steps, we're trying, this is as simplified as we know how to make it, is that until you get to that point, having completed personal discipleship and are now up to a participant in those classes, um, now you're qualified to be a disciple maker. Now you're qualified to be a teacher. And we'll talk about, again, the selection of each of those categories. Then the last step would be LFBI and learning to lead. Now at First Baptist Church, we we have a vision and a goal for every single member in our church to have completed the level of ministry tools and training. And we would love it if everybody went through all the levels of LFBI, but we know that everybody probably won't. And they can take classes here and there for continued lifetime learning, and I hope they do. And I, and I push them and ask them to do that. But the truth of the matter is I really want everybody to finish three. And then four, okay, if you really want to be a leader, not everybody does. Well, then you, you really need to continue on with LFBI, and that's a, it's a fantastic tool, and we're so thankful that we can do that together. But this is our path, and this then becomes the basis for what we do. I think that the written path for growth is critically important for any church because it provides clear instructions and understanding for everybody to know where they're at. A guy who walks in the very first day, or a person who's been there for many years, say, well, where do I go? What do I do? How do I fit in? Well, this is what we do. This is where you fit in. Start at one and then go to two and then go. just that, this is what we do. And it also makes it a lot easier for us to be impartial. Like there's no favoritism. You answer the call and you walk through the steps and you move on. And if you move on, we work with you. And if you don't move on, I don't care who your daddy is or how long you've been around here. We're not working with, I mean, it just doesn't work that way. You're either going to be faithfully responding or you're not. And I don't care what they look like. I don't care if they seem nerdy or if they're popular. I don't, none of that matters. All that matters is they're faithfully responding. Amen. I mean, that's why we got Kale getting out of here. He's made it. <laughs> it's an objective assessment of their growth. And I take it to the point where for, for us at First Baptist Church, this path of growth is our version of fulfilling Habakkuk 2.2, write the vision and make it plain upon tables 
that he may run that readeth it. Uh, if you don't have a vision statement, and you can write your vision statement with some cool lingo and put it on your website like everybody does, but, but the command is write a vision statement so that everybody can know it, make it simple, make it plain, and then they know what to do. Well, now I know what to do, I can go, I can run, I can do it, right? So once we identify the basic requirements from the path and the vision, well, then it's a matter of implementing it. And that's what this class is about. It's about implementing that. And I don't know that this will take a long time, but I want you to look at these as we've just given you. Everything I have in front of me is what you have in front of you. So the selection of the disciple, the student, um, again, th although this is kind of a I was an engineer once upon a time. And so, you know, writing procedure manuals is just no fun. But I mean, okay, so I'm kind of wired that way. Um, here's what we do. When we're looking at the disciple as the student that's coming in, by the way, a good procedure, it is just a, it's a snapshot of your values, right? It's, it's a snapshot into your vision and your goals and your values, and it should reflect that. Okay, so the church receives a request that someone desires to begin discipleship. I think that's important because I think they should desire it. Uh, if they don't desire it, I don't need to tackle them and make them desire it. You couldn't do that if you wanted to anyway. So we have several different ways that somebody can potentially desire that or make their request known to us. So one of them is every Sunday morning we have these things called connection cards in the pew in front of you. And we ask everybody in church on Sunday morning to fill out a connection card. If you're a faithful member of 40 years, fill out a connection card and, and put your prayer. And there's just all kinds of ways they communicate with the church office. Well, one of them is that little box at the bottom, I'm interested in personal discipleship. And if they check the box and they put it in the offering plate, then we know they're interested in personal discipleship. There's also something that's a, a church membership application. In our church membership application, I think that's probably one of them too. You're not going to see that, but it's in your notes. Um, if somebody's interested in becoming a member of First Baptist Church, well, in that process of membership, if you're going to become a covenant member of First Baptist Church, we're going to explain to you that discipleship is a value, and we expect every single member to be involved in discipleship. And if you're going to be a member of First Baptist Church, you have to agree to submit to being a part of discipleship. And if you're not willing to submit to be a part of discipleship, well, you're welcome to be a guest in our church. There's always room for you, and you can sit there and kick the tires and look for as long as you want until you're ready, but, but don't be a member until you're ready to get, get busy. And once you're ready to get busy, well, then you can do that. So on the membership application, there's things that we specifically ask that'll help us make a better selection for them, right, to hook them up in discipleship. We want to know who their friends or acquaintances are at First Baptist Church. How did they find us? How did they get here? Uh, what are the churches they've previously attended? That gives us an idea if they come from an Assemblies of God background or something like that, and they just happen to come in because a friend invited them or whatever the case might be. How'd you find out about discipleship? What would be your goals for discipleship? Get some ideas. What are your hobbies and interests? And, and of course, we have your written testimony of salvation, and we want to see that you kind of have an idea, you know, what you're talking about in those areas. And then we can find, they can let us know they're interested in discipleship. They may have never been to a class. They may never pull the card out of the pew, because I don't like doing that, but they just tell us. I mean, obviously, you have all kind of personal interactions. Um, and the word gets back to us that somebody's interested in the possibility of disciple. Okay, so that's the first step. Then when we get these requests, number two, they're filtered by, and we have a discipleship pastor. Now we have a big enough church that we have staff that that is a portion of their responsibility and introduce some of those guys to you. And I know that you may not have staffing availability for such a person, and 
You may just have a mature lay leader, coordinator that's a volunteer, and man, where would we be without people like that? But you have to have somebody whose responsibility it is to keep track of this stuff. And if it's just you as the pastor doing that, well, God bless you. It's going to get hard. Um, if you can delegate that, that would be wonderful. Um, we have somebody who does that, and that's a huge blessing. Um, but that person, whoever that responsible person is, then gets the request. They, they start to get some information, and, and they try and begin to then go through it. They, they want to try and identify if there's some obvious reasons why somebody's not ready. They might just know something about this person. We might Look, they, they said they want it, but look, I know that guy. He's not ready. He's not going to do this. Uh, but really, the most important thing is letter B under there, where it says to confirm with that individual who expressed the desire that they understand what they're requesting. Because, quite frankly, sometimes people say, oh, yeah, discipleship, that sounds good. I mean, that's a word that's thrown around in a lot of places. Somebody comes from another church, and listen, when's the last time you were at any church that's an evangelical, conservative theology church that doesn't use the word discipleship? Everybody talks about it. To, you know, Southern Baptist Church, it's a Sunday school class or whatever. Everybody's got kind of their own thing. They, well, that's not necessarily what we're, we're using the same words, but not mean the same thing, right? So we want to make sure that they know or understand or get an idea of what they're, what they're getting into. And, you know, we'll give them a phone call. We'll meet with them. We'll send them an email. We'll get set up something to talk to them about it. And then number three, the church with church secretary will send a formal application to the new candidate, and that's another attachment that you have, so you can glance at that uh, in the back. And again, we have, um, well, there's a cover letter that goes with that. And then there's the formal application that's in there. Actually, I referred to that earlier. Um, so this is, okay, we think you're serious. You seem to want to do it. All the things make sense. Uh, we're going to ask you to fill out an application. You say, boy, that sounds kind of formal. Yeah, I know, but we got a lot of people we got to keep track of, and it's hard to keep track of them otherwise. So the easiest, other than, even if we have a discipleship pastor, that guy can't be necessarily immediately just having interview meetings with everybody over and over again. So we just streamline the process by asking them to give us a whole bunch of stuff written down that we can review. And then we'll have some interview meetings and we'll talk to them and we'll see how they're doing, okay? So that application process has those things that I referred to earlier, like, you know, how'd you get here? How'd you find us? Where you come from? What are you thinking about? What are, and, and the things about, like, who do you know here already? We might want to pair them up with somebody they know already if they're a qualified discipler. What are your hobbies and interests? Maybe they don't know anybody, but they like to hunt. Up where we live, everybody likes to hunt. And so, you know, maybe we'll hook you up with somebody else who likes to hunt, and you can be pals, and when you're not killing something, you can talk about the Bible and, you know, whatever. So, you know, whatever it is, they, we try and hook them up that way. Um, so we have, we, we send this out to them and we ask them to fill it out. And you know, listen, this is like anything. Um, you send application to somebody for something and then they never return it. And well, that answers that. Well, say, time saved there. There's one interview I don't have to do. Now that sounds carnal, but that, listen, man, you got to manage your life, right? So we, this is a step and it's another step that they have to kind of prove they're serious enough to do it. Okay. So then they return that to us and then this discipleship pastor reviews that this is important when you get this, when we get this piece of paper back this is this is where it really starts and this is where you in my opinion need to have somebody who is a mature believer with a pastoral mindset i think that that's a good term 
okay, you may not, it may not be a paid staff. It may not be, okay, but it's somebody who has experience and maturity and a heart for shepherding. Because when you get to this point, you have to be able to read between the lines. You're going to be making follow-up phone calls. You need to be able to interact with people with the unique deal circumstances they're going through that are a particular challenge and not have them be too rigid and just say, oh, sorry, you don't meet that, you're out. Or not be too overly merciful and, and not discern where there might be an issue that needs to be talked about or whatever it might be. You need somebody with some, some good maturity and hopefully you have people like that in your church that can do that. If nobody else is, then, then the pastor needs to do that. Um, and then once, once all that comes through and the questions are answered and it seems like everything looks good, then the names that are approved to become students in the discipleship say, man, that's a lot just to get a guy to sign up to start. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Well, go through a seven-step process. <laughs> well, okay, kind of. Then we put them on a list that looks like this, okay? The, 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 the people that need to be paired. And, and in this list, again, this is, this is heavy administration, and this is, this is legitimately people from our church. We obviously X'd out their names and personal info for this uh, handout. But, but the idea that I want you to look at is now we have a list in a database of people who are waiting to be paired with somebody else. Hopefully they don't sit on this list very long, right? We want to get them hooked up pretty soon. So we have their names and basic info and stuff, and obviously their age can help us understand who's maybe a good pair for them. We have different status that they might be. Some people are on hold, some people are ready, some people have already been assigned, but they haven't started yet. Maybe we left a message with somebody, they haven't replied yet, and we can just at a glance look and see when did this process begin, when did they become available, did somebody already start in discipleship and fail and now they're trying to start again, um, all these are scenarios that you go through when you're trying to administrate this. And again, if we go back to the guiding principles, be diligent to know the state of thy flocks, well, it requires diligence. It requires some level of you deciding what are you going to do so that things don't get lost in the process, right? So then they make it to this list. Okay, now we've got to work the other side of the coin. Now we have to try and help people get paired up. So we have to, we as the pastors of our church, are active in trying to assist the discipler, teacher, selection. We, yes, there's plenty of people who have been discipled and are faithful and love God and are walking and doing well. But they, you know, don't, they don't have, they're willing to disciple somebody, but they haven't led somebody to the Lord that they're currently discipling, and they're just available. And we want to make the best possible pairing so that they, because they're going to develop a relationship. You know how it works. When you get involved in a discipleship relationship, you become family. I mean, you're, you're meeting weekly, and, and you're sharing aspects of life, and you know things about each other, and hopefully you're going to be friends for life. And I mean, it's, this is a big deal. You want to make a good pairing that makes sense, and... Okay, so we take that seriously, and obviously the easiest way is if somebody leads somebody to Christ, and they say, I, I'm, this is my child in the Lord, I'm going to lead. Okay, well, that's, that's what we want too. But fr frequently, that's not the case. Uh, we have a lot of, we're a, we're a bigger church in a small town. So we get a lot of walk-ins. Uh, people are just passing through. Somebody just wants to go back to church. We, 
if somebody's not been in church in a long time in our town and they just want to go to church and, and, and they're Baptistic, okay, they're just going to walk into our church because it's the big Baptist church in town. Well, that's lucky for us. That's good for us, you know what I mean? But it also means that there's a lot of people that show up and now they're interested. So it's not that every discipleship relationship in our ministry isn't, you know, because the birth occurred in your family directly, but it's more of an adoptive care, right? Because they walked in and they, they want somebody to care for them. And we want to be able to help them do that. So then we begin the selection of the discipler or the teacher. So the discipleship pastor reviews the list. So we have a list of teachers now also. And I think that's another handout that you've got back here. So the next one is qualified teachers and people who have completed being discipled. They're, they are in MTT or finished MTT and they're covenant members and they're, you know, they're ready to go. They've discipled before. They've never discipled before. We have a list of all the names of people who can be called on potentially to be taught. And, and by the way, our church really appreciates the fact that we have their name on this list because they love it when we say to them, hey, I know somebody and we would like for, we think you would be a good parent, big brother to this person. And they're like, oh, well, thanks. I appreciate that. I mean, they like that, that there's a possibility with their name. Now, the, the flip side is they can get lazy. Well, when they give me one, I'll disciple. I mean, okay, that happens. So we try and preach that out of them and realize that, you know, go for it, man. Get your own. I mean, it's okay. But nevertheless, we, we have such a list. And, and in this list, you can glance at it in your own time. There's different statuses, right? So some people are currently discipling and some people, most of them are qualified and not currently discipling. And one guy's on hold because there's some questions right now about what's going on in his life. And he's an older gentleman. He's had some problems. And well, we've got some others who, you know, whatever. The, the member status, CM, by the way, stands for covenant member. That's, what, that's our shorthand. If you're a covenant member of First Baptist, you have to be a covenant member. If somebody, it shouldn't show up if it's not a covenant. But anyways, it's on there. And uh, if somebody's discipling, who are they discipling? And how's that going? And all this kind of stuff. So we have that list as well. And so we look at the list. And let's say we're going to pick. And we need, you know, uh, Kathy, the female, 63 years old, who's qualified to just, okay, so then what we're going to do is the discipleship pastor coordinator is going to check with the life group leader of the life group that Kathy goes to. And we're just going to make sure, if we don't already know, that Kathy is still faithfully serving in a life group. Like, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes in our ministry... You know, people are like, all right, checked off number one box. I attended faithfully. Uh, everybody attends Sunday morning, but I, I did the Wednesday thing long enough to get into discipleship. And then they quit doing Wednesday, you know, and okay, well, we have a way to track that. We have a way to flag that. We have a way, and we always go back to that, right? And so we want to make sure that they're still a good fit, and you're the life group leader. You're the small group shepherd. What do you know about this person? Are they okay? Are they solid? Are they walking with the Lord? Are, are they still dis, you know, displaying the goals of, in their life? And Okay, so they're a good candidate? Great. That's, that's what we want to know. Um, they're still faithful. If that answer is yes, number three, then the discipleship pastor will call that person, Kathy, for example, and say, hey, Kathy, we got somebody for you. What do you think? And 
Are you willing to take a new disciple? And she says, yeah, I'd love to have a new disciple. Okay, great. Then what we do is we will send to Kathy that person's discipleship application, the application that had all their info they filled out, which includes their salvation testimony and their interests and how they showed up and where they come from. So now Kathy's aware of all the things we're aware of, okay? And she knows what she's getting into, and she knows all this stuff. And then Kathy is the one who makes the phone call. And she initiates the phone call because this is going to be her relationship. We're kind of behind the scenes just making this be facilitated. But she's the one who's going to have the relationship. So she makes the phone call and says, hey, my name's Kathy, and I'm from First Baptist Church, and you know, the pastor has asked me to call you because I understand you're interested in discipleship, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, hey, would you like to meet? We can get to know each other. We'll go to a restaurant, go to a coffee shop, come to my house, whatever you want to do. And so if that all successfully goes, then they set up the first meeting. And once they're ready to get started with the lessons, I just threw this in there because this is actually kind of important for us. Somebody has to pay 10 bucks to get the lessons. Now, I say that only because uh, the truth is we are blessed and can afford to give the lessons away. And if you give them away, God bless you. But we just think it's important that you value things that you pay for. And I don't care if between the discipler and the disciple, which one of them wants to come up with the cash. Um, I think it's equally valuable for either of them to have to fork out a little bit. The student has the value of saying, I'm in, I'm willing to pay. So at 10 bucks isn't much these days, but hey, I'm willing to do it, I'll pay. Or maybe the discipler or teacher says, listen, I'm taking the responsibility for this child. I'll fork over the money. I don't care. Look, I'm going to take it. I want them to take it seriously, and I know it's a small thing, but, you know, we just added this because, well, it's just something. I want you to think about the things that we've thought about, okay? Um, even though the lessons, so the 10 bucks covers all of it, by the way, the whole booklet that's completed, even though we only hand them out a few lessons at a time. And if you've been a part of our fellowship, you know how it works, and we've got, we give them like two or three at a time, and then we get the checkpoint back, and we get that, we give them two or three at a time, and and, you know, even once they pay, once they're done, you know, all the other handing in and out is all covered and all that sort of thing is done. So this is our process. And this really is the most important part, selecting the person, making sure you get the necessary baggage taken care of, selecting the teacher for the best possible fit. Oh, just turn them loose. Man, praise the Lord. Go do what the Lord has. Make disciples. Let's do this thing, right? So... That's kind of, so that's the whole first step of selection. The next step, this will go quicker, continuation. So now they're rolling. Now they're in the midst of the process. Now they're doing their thing. So they're doing it. And, and as far as you're concerned, praise the Lord, they're on, they're on a list that says they're doing it. They're, they're started their discipleship. We have some dates tracked. And, and so, you know, I think the next attachment is the checkpoint sheets. And these are just a part of the tools. And if you don't know what this is, I think the, Beginning track goes through this with the tools. I'm not sure, but you can find out more about the details. Of the, I mean, most of you guys know that stuff. Anyway, so that's, that's that. And uh, so then, okay, that, every time they go to turn in, we have a, like a desk out in the lobby of our church that on any given Sunday, if you've completed lesson number three and you're going to turn in, just go to that desk and hand it in. They'll give you more lessons and, you know off to the races. You can do that on a Sunday morning. You don't make a special trip into the church or any of that kind of stuff. Um, number two, the checkpoint sheet is then recorded in the database. That's your next appendix, number six, uh, showing the process through the lessons. And this is important 
because here our discipleship pastor can at any given time, so throughout his week, he should, well, I mean, I don't micromanage, but maybe every couple of weeks, he should be glancing at this list regularly. It shouldn't take that long. If the database is kept up to speed, he should, he should just glance at the list and, and see how they're doing. And, and basically, he's just looking for red flags. He's looking for things that it's like, okay, they began on this certain date, and the checkpoints for lesson one through three was handed in, and four through six was handed in. But man, it's been like eight months, and nothing else has happened. I mean, somebody probably needs a phone call, right? Somebody probably needs to be encouraged. Maybe we need to find out what's going on. And so that's what we do. We, they follow up, and they look, and they pray over it, and they consider. And, and that this is where the pastoral shepherding of the discipleship process really kicks in because now we have all the structure and at a fairly quick glance they can then know well I need to call like three people this week well there may be 45 people involved but everybody seems to be moving I'm not, I'm not going to get to the details if it's been one week or six weeks we give them a little room to work out their stuff because you know how it works in discipleship I mean people have real life problems and they may not find that lesson number five that's assigned this week is really the lesson that this lady or young man needs to go through because they're struggling with a whole other problem in life and well a good discipler is going to help them through that problem and they're going to set the lessons aside for a little bit and okay we'll give them room to do that but eventually man if we we want to be able to hear from you well this is where we can shepherd the disciple teachers right the disciplers and we can help them to make sure because look Atrophy occurs, things happen, people get away from it, they forget, they don't, they get lazy, they, and they need to be encouraged. If you don't do this part, you will find a higher percentage of failure. You will find a lot more people, well, life just gets busy, things just happen, and they just kind of forget, oh, yeah, you know, we did do that, but, well, just an encouraging word, just a help, just a reminder of, you know, our, our call and our command and how faithful God is and how he's using you and I, whatever it might be, well, if there's something that needs some assistance, the first phone call is always going to be to the discipler, the teacher, right? Because who knows what the deal is? I mean, the odds are the student has a problem. The odds are the student isn't that interested. They, they thought it was going to be more fun than it really is, um, they don't really like memorize, whatever. They have some reason they don't want to continue and they're backing off. The discipler will know all about it. They'll tell us all about it. Do we need to step in and do anything? They'll, usually they'll say, no, I got it. I'm tracking it. Uh, if you want to put us on hold, put us on hold because my disciple is just not responding. Recently, I've had this uh, a lot actually recently. I don't know how this seems to have worked out, but the guys, I've taken on some tough cases that all the magic I have hasn't seemed to work, and they don't seem to care that much. And so I asked Matt to not give you the sheet with my name on it because there's a lot on hold under Jeff's list. Well, part of that is the, I'd like to think is because I'm trying to hold them to a faithful standard. They're not willing to, they're not willing to tow. And whatever the case might be, that, that kind of stuff. Well, on rare occasion, not as frequent, it may be a problem with the teacher. The teacher may be going through something, and he's just dropped the ball because there's so much going on in his life. He's like, uh, you know, uh, 
I've been meaning to do that, but wow, my kid's in college and whatever, whatever. And you're like, okay, well, let's talk, man. Do we need to assign it to somebody else? Can we help you with this? Can somebody come along? Well, that's a ministry too, right? I mean, that is also discipleship, right? We're still helping them and loving them and giving them the support that they need. So he's looking for red flags. That's actually number four, I think, on your, on your list here. Um, but since they're looking for red flags and since they're making this call, again, this, this is where we shepherd these leaders. And that's why this person, okay, you can have secretaries manage databases. You can have anybody do that, you know, data entry. But man, you need a shepherding person with maturity to do these phone calls. I mean, come on. People need to, they need to feel loved and respected and treated in a way with dignity, yet maturity and discernment and care. And so, you know, you need to choose wisely who and how you're doing. But that is a tremendous ministry opportunity. Pastors have... If, if you're a church that can't staff this or if you have limited even available mature brothers and you have somebody who's a growing leader who's willing to do much of this work for you, praise the Lord. But, but let me encourage you, when you get to this point right here, you as the pastor, the sole pastor, you may have to be the only one that ever makes those calls. Like somebody else can say, hey, pastor, I, I think there's something you might want to check out here. And you can delegate some of that stuff, but you just... Man, th those conversations are sometimes sensitive. And, you know, people don't just want to be sharing sensitive information with just anybody. So that's, let me just encourage you, that's, that's, an, important, that's an important piece of the puzzle. Um, so anyways, this process then continues until they're done, until they finish all of the lessons and everything's turned in. And, and, it's, and again, we do understand, and again, I know these are handled in other classes, so I'm trying to laser focus in only on the administrative part, but, but they're not done until the four goals are accomplished in their life. They're not done just because they finished 17 or 18 lessons. They're done when the goals are accomplished in their life. And we have people, and you do too, who can, you know, and part of the thing, by the way, when you see if there's some, sometimes they're moving too slowly through the lessons. Okay, what's going on? Sometimes they move too fastly, too fastly, too quickly too fastly to go to school. So, and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't a race. You can't possibly tell me that you started two months ago and you're done. You didn't actually disciple this person. You cranked through lessons. And so, you know, there's that side of the coin too. But, man, this is, I mean, the goals is what we're looking for. And then, so here's the deal. How do we know if the, the new disciple that has just completed this has fulfilled the goals as the pastors of the church? Well, we only know in that the discipler tells us. That's how we know. Because I believe that it's only right that if we're going to delegate responsibility to our people, we also delegate them, we empower them with the ability to make those calls. Like, who am I? to say, you've spent a year of your life with this person, regularly praying and working through all these details, to say, ah, I don't think so. Now, if you know something and you want to talk about it, okay, but at the end of the day, if we trust you, if we decentralize this ministry and we trust you 
to go and to do this. Well, then we have to trust your judgment to say, yes, they're established in their relationship with God through the word of God in prayer. Yes, they're established in the local church and fellowship with believers. And yes, they're established in worship and in the ministry of the word of God. Okay, yes, we understand. They're doing, how, can you describe for me how, yes, they're doing all these things. Okay, great. Awesome. Thank you. Qualify. That's all I care about. Thank you. Fantastic. So, man, when that happens, that's, that's a time for rejoicing. That's a time for celebration, right? So when that happens, then, okay, so then now they're done. Okay, well, what happens when they're done? Well, that's the last section. That's the completion. So upon successful completion of the personal discipleship lessons with the fulfillment of the goals, the disciple's name now transfers to the list of available teachers. Saw that list already. Okay, even though that person just finished personal discipleship, they haven't yet signed up for ministry tools and training. But immediately upon completion, right, because the last lesson is what's next, and it includes kind of an overview of the goals and the philosophy, even though there's a greater class developing that in ministry tools and training, you've been trained, you have seen it modeled with you, you can now model it with somebody else. And so we will allow you at First Baptist Church, even though we're going to encourage you, go to MTT, we're going to encourage you, keep, keep going on your third step of the four-step path of growth. You can immediately now go and start discipling somebody else. Hopefully they will do those other things. Hopefully we see that going. But for us, successful completion of the goals and the lessons immediately puts your name on the list of a potential um, discipler teacher. Together with that, number two, to be complete in our procedure, the recent graduate is then recommended to continue on the path of growth to the next step. So hopefully they will, and most times they do in our experience, but sometimes they don't. And if they just never seem to find the time, we'll ask them, why don't you? I mean, you value this, you understand this, you... Why wouldn't you want to, I, I'm not very creative, and I'm not very clever. Uh, I, I have an engineering background, you know, so it's just kind of black and white, nuts and bolts, and it makes sense or it doesn't make sense, and either do it or don't do it, or, you know, that kind of thing. So when we gave the name Ministry Tools and Training, it wasn't because that was just something that sounded great, and a, some designer said, hey, if you do this, people will like it. It's just descriptive. <laughs> it, ministry, MTT, doesn't sound cool. It just, it is what it is. It, we offer to you tools and training to make you an effective minister. It's just simple. And, it's, and therefore, it's memorable. So why would you not want more tools and why would you not want more training to be an effective minister of God's well, if they keep refusing that, there may be a question as to whether we want to keep them on the available discipler list. I don't know. I mean, things happen in life. But typically they do. And so just for your curiosity, which you may or may not have, um, entrance into MTT now has its own set of requirements, which is more than just completing personal discipleship. Because a person can begin personal discipleship and not even be a member of First Baptist Church, but we expect that by the time they complete personal discipleship, they will have learned. They will have been baptized if they haven't. They will become a covenant member by the time they're done. Uh, that's, that's an important thing that 
Okay, so we want to see before we allow them into step three, you have to be a covenant member of First Baptist Church. You need to have completed personal discipleship. You need to continue to demonstrate your faithfulness regularly in a life group. And this is the first point that we, in our church, we check your giving record. Like, I don't do that. I don't, I don't check who gives what and how much. Maybe you do, and if that's your version of be diligent to know the state of your flock, then that, I get that. I do. I really do. I've just chosen to keep my eyes off of the giving record as much as possible. We have a secretary that does that. Thank the Lord for her. And the greatest quality for somebody in that position is to keep her mouth shut. And I find that it may be a challenge for me if I know everybody's giving record to view and therefore shepherd you differently. That's just me. So I'm working around my weaknesses. You know, you pray for me. But at certain points in their growth, the issue, I'll just ask our financial secretary, is this person a faithful giver to our church? Do they give an amount that you would guess would be fair equivalent of a tithe? And, you know, again, we live in a small town and we kind of know where people work and you got an idea of what a salary might be and, yeah, sure, why not? Or, you know, because if she says, well, you know, they'll throw in 10 bucks once a month. Okay, well, that's not faithful giving. Well, this is the point where then we will have a conversation. Like, I'm not just looking for opportunities to have conversations about your wallet. But you want to grow. You want to be an effective minister. Okay, so, you know, we've had people sneak through the system, and they were finishing MTT, and they weren't faithful givers, and we found out later. And Okay, so then I sit down with them, and I just have... Say, look, we need to talk about this. I know this is uncomfortable, but hey, you know, listen, what's going on? And, and this only happened two, maybe three times in 10 years. And, uh, and every time the person was like, yeah, man, I know, man, I know. I should have been doing that. I was like, you should have been doing that. What, are you kidding? And so they got it right, you know. And uh, praise the Lord, they got it right. So anyway, just for clarity's sake. Uh, so ministry tools and training for us are those classes. That's what it is. And then the last point I will make, and, and I'm done. Um, other churches do celebrate publicly the completion of personal discipleship. Like I know here at Oakland Heights, they do a really cool thing with the baton handoff. I think you guys did that last night. I point at you because I don't know. Where's James? Everything changes. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's cool. I thought that was awesome. I, I think that's a great deal. We don't do that. We haven't incorporated that yet anyway. So with us, we make a huge deal out of graduating MTT. So we walk them up on stage and we give them gifts and we do the whole deal for when they do that. But the personal discipleship, maybe we should do more with that. So, you know, take that. But um, that is a cool opportunity and that is a cool way for people to be able to potentially rejoice together and the baton thing is cool and, and all that. So um, that's kind of what we do and that's kind of how we do it. Um, you can ask questions and we can stay here for up to 15 minutes or you can not ask questions and we can get out of here. Sir. Your list is long. Just a second. Let me get, let me get mics so that uh, it makes it to the feed. Come on, Chris. You mentioned the MTT courses. Yes. Material. You don't care for the cost? I'm sorry? The cost of discipleship? 
Oh, yeah, so for, for us, the cost of discipleship is not a part of that. Um, for us, the cost of discipleship is incorporated into a, a lesson that we just give to the discipler. To, it's almost like lesson zero, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to have the discipler teacher sit down eyeball to eyeball across the table with the person that they're going to disciple, and they go through that material with that person, one-on-one, -on -one because then later on when that person doesn't fulfill counting the cost, they say, yes, I'll do it, and then they don't do it. They can say, well, you remember when we sat the very first day and I asked you this, and you, you know, so it's, we, we've chosen not to make it a scheduled class time because we've just had a real hard time. When we schedule something, is it once a month? Is it once every quarter? Is it this? Is it that? Are you delaying people? from getting started, they're ready to get started, but I have to wait for a class, and we've been through a lot of iterations of that. So yes, we do incorporate the cost, but we just squeezed it into, kind of like we, add, we added the lesson originally for the next steps at the end. And so the fellowship adopted our next steps lesson, because we didn't want to, we used to have a class at the end of discipleship that we used to call that D1, where you had, it was all the philosophy before you could disciple somebody else. Well, again, the, the scheduling caused us to realize, add a lesson at the end. So at 16, we were done. At 17, now you got what you need to start discipling somebody else. Well, then we added cost of discipleship on the front load. So it's all been decentralized to the individual who's going to be the one sitting across the table from the person. Does that make sense? That's how we do it. That's worked good for us. Anybody else? <laughs> 